You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. And it is a week to celebrate. I don't know if you've heard or not, but the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Absolutely. I want to offer my heartfelt condolences to listeners out there who might be 49ers fans, my friends in the Bay Area. My heart goes out to you. I mean, I can't really relate because we won and, and you didn't, but, but I feel bad at some level. And it's going to be a big parade this week here in Kansas City. All of the schools let out uh, for the big parade. I guess when you only win every 50 years, you get a parade. And so going to be huge. Um, I am going to load up everybody. And uh, no, we're not going to the parade. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? It, the weather is terrible. And uh, who takes seven children down to a parade of a million people downtown? No, 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 no. We're going to Costco. Why? Because everyone who would normally be at Costco, they're going to be at the parade. And so we're going to clean up on samples at Costco because it's going to be empty. You know, there is nothing like the fear in a Costco worker's eyes when they see our tribe coming after the samples. It really, it's a, it's a sight to behold. And it's kind of funny, the reaction. It's almost as if these are their own private stash of food. They get a little protective, you know, of that little cup of tuna salad with an olive in the top. It's always weird combinations that you would never eat anyway. Uh, but we can, man, we can make a meal out of that. So happy Chiefs Day, and we are headed to Costco. That's just what we're going to do. Now, that's not all the news around here. Other news in our family life, we got a puppy. We did. We got a puppy. We've never, okay, I can't say we've never had dogs. For a brief period, we had two beagle puppies. And if you understand what it is like to have two beagle puppies, you understand why it was it was for a brief period. They were bonkers. And then uh, Jackson was allergic to them, and they had to go, and I was the worst dad ever. Uh, he didn't say that, but that's how I, I felt. So we haven't had a dog now for, wow, almost 20 years probably. And uh, last week we got a puppy because we are not smart enough to get an older dog. And so we got a puppy. Uh, she is a Chawini, which is a... They call it a boutique breed. Actually, I think it's just something that somebody made up when uh, there was a hookup between a Chihuahua and a Dachshund. It's a Chihuini or a Mexican hot dog. It's also the optional uh, technical name. So we're excited to have her. Cute little thing. We're loving her. Um, she's having a blast. Enjoys the snow. She's black as midnight. It's impossible to get a picture of her, but she's uh, super cute. Enjoying that. This weekend, I'm going to be in Freedom Church in Magnolia, Texas. Uh, if you don't know where that is, Houston is a suburb of Magnolia. And so it's right right in the same area. Going to be out there with longtime friends, Richie and Jess Clark, that are the pastors out there. I met Richie and Jess January, whoa, 15 years ago, 2005. Uh, we were helping lead the Justice House of Prayer in Washington, D.C. And we had this little prayer room that was located at 2nd and Pennsylvania, on the second floor of a funky-shaped building above a Bank of America. And so we would do prayer meetings up there at night because, you know, the bands would be loud. And, and so uh, we didn't meet much during the day. Richie and Jess came. They were leading a, a worship ministry at that time called Radiant. 
And uh, they would come and they, they hauled all of their gear up this narrow stairway and set up in this little prayer room and played for about three days. And it was just fantastic. I so enjoyed them. There were times, I think we did some afternoon meetings, and I was a little concerned that it was going to get too loud downstairs in the bank. So I sent an intern down. I said, go down to the bank and see if you can hear what's going on up here in the bank downstairs. So they go down. They're down there about 10 minutes, and they come back up. They said, not only can you hear it, the chandeliers are swinging. We were swinging the chandeliers in the bank below the prayer room. That's a good prayer meeting when you're not just swinging from the chandeliers, but swinging other people's chandeliers. So excited to be with Richie and Jess this weekend uh, at Freedom in Magnolia. Uh, should be a really good time. Well, I'm excited. I've got my coffee. I've got my death before decaf mug poured here, and I've got my Bible. Let's you do the same. Grab your Bible, grab your coffee, and we are going to dive in right now. All right, everybody, do you have your Bibles, do you have your coffee, have everything you need to live a godly, full life, your Bible and your coffee? We're ready to go. Colossians chapter 1, and we are just going to do a little bit of recap here. Of course, it was written by the Apostle Paul. We always kind of try and start with context so that we don't end up making it say something that it didn't mean or... Uh, uh, walk away with a meaning different than, than perhaps they intended. Paul wrote a couple of different kinds of letters. He wrote letters to individuals, like uh, the book of Timothy. He wrote letters uh, that were general letters for general circulation that didn't deal with particular problems but needed to uh, pass their way all the way through the churches. And he wrote occasional letters, which were written to a specific people and or a specific church and the reason we study those, like the book of Colossians, because that's what that is, is because history repeats itself. We are not that creative. We tend to do the same things wrong or get the same things wrong that they did in the New Testament. And so these, these books are really, really effective because there is nothing new under the sun. And we'll discover that as we study the book of Colossians. Early part of the chapter starts with Paul introducing himself to people he has not yet met. He did not plant this church. He doesn't know these people. They know of him, and he starts out identifying himself. I'm the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul gets a little bit of a, um, a narrow reputation among people. He is apostolic. He is a strong leader. He is a visionary. But he's also very, very pastoral. There is a thread of people who are very interested in what uh, they would call fivefold ministry. And, and I, I believe in this. I really believe in, in a ministry that incorporates all five of these uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, there are people who want people in clean categories. They want to know, is, is that person operating as a pastor? Are they a prophet? Are they an apostle? And certainly, people have strengths in various areas. There are people who I would say have an apostolic influence in my life. They are visionaries and leaders that uh, I follow and I would submit to. There are others that are teachers or shepherds, but nobody gets to choose a major at the expense of the other categories. There are some that would say, well, that was for then, but this is now, and it's dangerous to start apost uh, attributing apostolic authority to people alive today. I'm not talking about making somebody into the Pope here. 
I'm talking about viewing them as a key leader and a strategic thinker. Additionally, the Bible goes on there in the book of Ephesians to say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, these roles and these um, ministry gifts or roles are going to be around until the church is like Jesus. Now, I don't know what church you're attending, uh, but my guess is you're not quite there yet, that the church reflects Jesus in some areas and in other areas it's not. That's just because we're human. We have not yet attained the thing that we are called to. And so we still have all of these people. However, they don't get to get declare a major. And Paul, who is an apostle, also reacts in a very pastoral way towards these people. He didn't just set his eye on the goal, but he also set an eye on the people that he was leading. Last week, we talked about the responsibility we have to pray over those that we have authority over. We have so um, hyper-accentuated the idea of a leader who will take the hill at any cost that we have de-emphasized the role of the shepherd of people. In the kingdom of God, and even in business and in a family, a good leader always has one eye on the goal and another eye on the people that they're trying to get to the goal. Because it's uncountable how many people have neared their goal only to look back and realize after years of neglect that they weren't leading anybody. Paul dispels that with a really tender prayer that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and walk worthy of their calling in God. And out of that, they would find great endurance. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're stepping into verses 12 to 14 as he closes his prayer by underscoring exactly the thing that Jesus has done for them. So he's closing his prayer here in verse 12, and he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Is there anything worse than feeling unqualified or like you do not belong someplace? It is the most awkward feeling to look around and go, I should not be here, and everybody knows it. Fifteen years ago, back when in the D.C. days, uh, I was in Washington for meetings, but I was still living in Kansas City. And so uh, it was supposed to be a two-night stay, Kelsey and I. ended up being a three-night stay when we accidentally purchased an airline ticket under her nickname rather than her actual name. Kelsey is a, is a nickname that everybody knows her by. And uh, we didn't think much about it. We bought the plane ticket. Well, the airlines feel very differently about that. So we were not able to get on the plane. It was like a 10 o'clock flight out of Dulles. And it was midnight till we got back to Capitol Hill because there were no other flights. We didn't have hotel reservations. So we found ourselves back at the ministry headquarters. And uh, they had room, along with the uh, young female interns, for, for Kelsey to go stay in their townhouse, but they didn't have room for me there, obviously. And so they said, hey, there's a condo upstairs, and they told me who it belonged to. They told me a first name, and uh, they said they're out of town, but they're friends of the ministry, and uh, they lend their condo to us all the time. So they're out of town. We've got a key. Just go on ahead and go up and stay there. Now, that sounds a little weird now, but really, it's, it's no different than an Airbnb. You just show up at somebody's house and, you know, go spend the night. And they weren't there. So I decided, okay, that's fine. I grab the key and I go on up to the condo. And, uh, you know, it's a small little condo on Capitol Hill, nicely decorated. And I start looking at the photos on the wall and I realize I'm in the condo of a senator, like a real live, honest to goodness, vote on stuff senator. And my friend yells up the stairs, go ahead and just sleep in the bed. We'll change the bedding and flip the room tomorrow. And I remember thinking, 
nope. I am not going to do that. I do not belong here. I sat on the edge of the couch like I was afraid I was going to get cooties on anything just because I did not belong in this place. It was so awkward. That's why Paul, even as he dives into correcting them for their heresy, goes out of his way to tell the church at Colossae, hey, Jesus has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's an odd phrase, the saints in light. We might not use that today. Light is an important part of Hebrew thinking. According to Jewish history and Jewish uh, culture, all knowledge and goodness was symbolized by light, while sin and ignorance were characterized by darkness. It's not just that light makes a room able to be navigated. It's actually good. It is positive. And Paul said, you belong with them, the ones that are filled with wisdom and insight on how my kingdom works. You have more going on in your spirit than you realize. You might be rough around the edges. In fact, I'm getting ready to throw the smackdown on you for some wrong thinking about Jesus, but you do belong to the kingdom of light. The Bible is full of intentional stories of people being made welcome where logic would say they do not belong. In 2 Samuel, David is taking the throne of the kingdom. And he is reigning in his calling. He's been called to do this for years. And he's finally on the throne, having replaced Saul after years of struggle. Now, David was an honorable man, even towards Saul, who'd been nothing but trouble for him. And David had been a dear covenant friend with Jonathan, Saul's son. So now that he has achieved uh, the throne that he belonged on, David wanted to show kindness to the house of Saul. So he asks about the extended family. It turns out there's this one guy left, Mephibosheth. He is Jonathan's son, and he's disabled. He was dropped as a small boy. His, his uh, nanny dropped him. The palace was under attack, and she was carrying him out quickly. And, and so he is lame in both feet. The Bible calls him a cripple. So David has a messenger send for the boy who he brings to the palace, and he cares for him the rest of his life, the grandson of the man who tormented him, a crippled outsider who sat for the rest of his life at the table of the king. John Mark McMillan's got a great song from about 10 years ago called Carbon Ribs. One of the lyrics says, I'm a dead man now with a ghost who lives within the confines of these carbon ribs, and one day when I'm free, I will sit a cripple at your table. There are a lot of lies the enemy will tell you, but one of the most common ones is that you don't belong and everybody knows it. And what no one knows is that everyone else feels the same way about themselves. Paul starts out speaking to the people in the city of Colossae by saying, you belong with the saints in light, those with understanding. You have insight into who God is. They may say, well, I don't have much. Yeah, but you've got way more than you realize. Because even in the twilight of understanding that you operate in is way more than the dark of those who have not been reconciled to God. This morning, God is saying to you, you belong with the saints of light. You're like, oh, no, 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 I am not perfect. And he would go, you are right, you are not perfect. Paul is getting ready to lay out the mistakes that they are making. But even in their errors, he says, you belong. We're all cripples sitting at the table of the king. Thanks to Jesus who went and got us. So verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And what did that do? What does that qualification give us? What does that all-excess badge 
let us get to. Verse 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I don't know if you grew up in church. I did. We were there Sunday morning, most Sunday nights, a lot of Wednesday nights. And Sunday night had a unique ring to it because that's when we had the testimony service. The testimony service was kind of a a Christian version of open mic night where you could get up and you could share what the Lord had done in your life. Now, there were two goals to this. One was to give glory to God by thanking Him, just celebrating with one another. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Part two was to give people practice at telling their story in front of a warm, familiar crowd. So perhaps they could share these stories in in another setting somewhere else. Now, here's where the testimony service had a tendency to run off the rails. Once in a while, you would get up and someone would share their testimony, and they would start from the day they were born, and they would give it to you in real time. It would take them a year to tell you about the first year of their life, and you knew you were going to be here for a while. And these testimonies would go on and on and on, and they would major on the sin that the person had walked through. And then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this. And then with eight seconds left, they would say, and Jesus saved me from it all, and that's the end. The testimonies were mostly about what people were saved from. Jesus' work in you was not only to give you a reprieve from the pain of active sin or save you from hell. Jesus' work in you is to change your citizenship. It is the difference between allowing someone to sneak into a country versus giving them citizenship when they arrive. A citizen lives different than a fugitive. He lives with boldness. Some of us are living in the kingdom of God like we snuck in under the cover of night and on on the verge of being thrown out at any moment if we make our presence known. Citizens live boldly. They live large. Scout, my little guy, turned five this week. Scout lives large. He makes his presence known. Scout really feels like he belongs here, and he lets you know. Because Scout probably has a better understanding than we do of Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You're not a fugitive in the kingdom. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So one who has been given citizenship in one kingdom as opposed to the other takes responsibility for that kingdom. Those whose citizenship is elsewhere aren't sure if they belong or not. And they use all their energy on self-preservation. Some of you use all of your energy just trying to stay saved. Like, honestly, that Sunday morning is, I just made it back. Okay, I made it another week. That's not how you're called to live. You were moved from one kingdom to another. You belong here now. The Apostle Paul told us so. When you were saved, you came into a kingdom that exists for your self-preservation. The entire kingdom of God is working that you would stay here. Also, a citizen has a stake in the future. If you're a citizen in the kingdom, the kingdom of God is your place of residence, then it is worth pouring your time and your money and your effort and your hope into it because you are going to be there for eternity. You belong here now. Live like it. Verse 14, he says, talking about Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, appealing to that idea 
that you don't belong here. He says, yes, you do. All that you carried to the table was forgiven. And you now sit here with the saints in light, with the same amount of belonging that they do. You know, Jesus stirred up trouble everywhere he went, but it wasn't the things you would expect. There were times when they didn't bat an eye when he healed someone physically. But when he said things like, your sins are forgiven, in Mark chapter 2, they retorted, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why did that stir up religious spirits? Because they knew if your sins were forgiven, you were out of their control. The Lord is calling you into freedom that sets you free from the kingdom of darkness in whatever form it is attacking you so that you are a saint of light Even though the understanding you may have may be very small, that little bit of light you got changes everything around you and changes who you are. This, the message of these couple of verses is you belong, you belong. Now he's going to go on. He's going to clarify some things that they've got wrong. He's going to talk very strongly, starting in verse 15, about who Jesus is and where he came from, what it means to be reconciled to him. But before he ever gets there to the Apostle Paul, strong word, Pastor Paul takes him aside and said, People, the kingdom of God is here for you, and more than anything, you belong here. This is where you are supposed to be. Hope you have a fantastic week. Pray for me as I head to Texas this week. It's going to be a good weekend. I'll talk to you next week.